everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I am your host, Ashley, the Muscle Maven Van Houten. I might actually have to get uh, my name like officially changed at some point, although I already have two middle names, which I will, of course, never reveal to you. So we're starting right off the bat with a fun mystery. And speaking of fun, today's guest is a big deal. Her name is Wednesday Martin. And you know what? If I'm being honest, actually, her last name is one of my middle names, one of my two secret middle names that I just talked about because my mother's maiden name is Martin. That's my middle name. Maybe we're related. Okay. I'm, I'm ruining the mystery already. This is going off track. But anyway, Wednesday Martin, you may know her as the author of Primates of Park Avenue and her more recent book, Untrue, Why Nearly Everything We Believe About Women, Lust, and Infidelity is Wrong and How the New Science Can Set Us Free. That's a lot, right? Wednesday is a writer and a cultural critic, and I love how she uses a background in anthropology to study human behavior. With Primates of Park Avenue, she literally studied her uber-rich neighborhood and neighbors that she moved into uh, like she was embedded with a different species, the way she was observing rituals and behaviors and interactions and just sort of the the approach that she applied to it and even applied to herself when she started becoming uh, a part of these rituals and behaviors. It was fascinating and very entertaining and honestly a little disturbing. Anybody who has lived in New York and knows that every neighborhood is like its own ecosystem, its own planet can get this, but her dive into this and the background that she brought to it was really, really fascinating. So I highly recommend anybody uh, read this book. I also really wanted to talk to her about her book Untrue because, you know, as a woman who is alive, I have felt confused and conflicted and frustrated uh, in conversations about modern relationships and sex. And I've often felt like there is a huge gap in how women's sexuality is presented in the media and in culture and how women actually feel and talk about sexuality amongst themselves. And there's just so many conflicting narratives out there, some problematic, some maybe less so, but the conflict themselves is what is frustrating to me, you know, about women desiring completely different things uh, than men from relationships, like really trying to pit us against each other in a lot of ways, about women being naturally more monogamous, less sexual, less interested less aggressive, all of these things that we're told is what is natural to us um, without actually checking in on how we feel and what we actually think is natural to us. And then at the same time, you know, we're being told that we're not interested in sex and we're not interested in, in going out there and meeting new people and novelty. But at the same time, we're also positioned in a lot of culture as being just sex crazed and we're the, the sirens that are drawing you in and men can't help themselves. And we're so emotionally driven that we just can't control our urges. And so I'm like, I, I don't know what even to pay attention to. I don't even know where to start. It's all very frustrating and unfortunate for everybody involved. And Wednesday really addresses all of this and a lot more in her book, Untrue. She talks to women about their relationships. So that's a good start, right? She actually talks to women about how they feel and and what they do in their relationships, about their feelings and their desires and their needs. And again, she applies a lot of history and anthropology to understand why these narratives were created in in the first place, why they persist, despite not really helping men or women in a lot of cases. So yeah, we do talk about the patriarchy. Guys, just, you know, kind of dig in and, and, and bear with me here because I think this will be useful <laughs> for everybody. You know, we talk about like fascinating things like for somebody like me who, who 
looks at things with an ancestral perspective, we talk about how upper body strength, right? How men are naturally a lot stronger um, than women, how that has virtually shaped our current society and men's and women's roles as we transitioned into this sort of agricultural society and the benefits that upper body strength gave us and then the uh, sort of roles that we created around what we naturally want to do or don't want to do or what we're naturally inclined um, towards. It's really, really fascinating. And of course, we talk about porn. We talk about women's only sex clubs. And because this is Muscle Maven Radio, we also talk about pull-ups. So yeah, we get into all of it. Uh, Anyway, Wednesday so kindly invited me to chat with her in her Central Park adjacent apartment, which was, I mean, a trip in itself. We had an amazing, cathartic, eye-opening chat And um, guys, I'm just going to sort of prep you. This conversation is probably best suited for adults. Totally up to you. But, you know, this is uh, adult content. I definitely think it's very, very useful for both men and women. So I truly hope that you all join me with an open mind for this very titillating chat. Give Wednesday a follow online. Check her out. If you like what you hear uh, and want to hear more like this, just send me a note and let me know. All of this uh, information and all of these links are going to be in the show notes so you can go uh, do your own research. But I just think sexual health and relationships are very important aspects to overall health. That's how I'm tying this in, guys. They're often overlooked also in this industry, in the space where we're just so concerned with perfecting our diet and our sets, and our reps. Um, But part of the benefit of feeling good and looking good naked, all that hard work you're doing, uh, is your relationship to your body and the people that you have intimate relationships with. And some of this stuff can be awkward or irritating or hard to talk about, but it's important. So let's dive right in. I am so excited to share my chat with the fearless and awesome Wednesday Martin. Wednesday, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm such a huge fan of yours. This book, by the way, like I'm reading it on the subway and I just, after every page, I just kind of want to like look around and like fucking high five a girl next to me. And I haven't done it yet, but I might be confused. I want to, uh, you know, if she sees the cover of the book, she might get it. But I'm glad you're enjoying it and I'm glad you're here. I want to do a little bit of an icebreaker because we didn't really get to like talk and get to know we each didn't. other too well before we started that. We're and sometimes this jumping is jumping right into bed together. But I do want to do a bit of an icebreaker and talk about your um, pull-up uh, project. My pull-up journey. Because this is actually a very um, near and dear subject to my heart. And I have actually recently developed a pull-up program for women. I'm not kidding you. Shut up. Not kidding you. This oh is how gosh. serendipitous, this is right? So appropriate in every way that this is happening right now. Okay. And there's so many layers to it too, because yeah. my so my background is in health and fitness, and that's what I talk about on the podcast and what I write about, because um, I'm a journalist and a writer as well. And I have been in sort of like the bodybuilding, CrossFit, powerlifting world for a long time. So I've wow. always been attracted to strength and muscles yeah. on other people and on myself. Great. And I've, I've always felt really strongly, specifically about women doing pull-ups mm. because we can talk about this because it relates back to the book, but we, you know, one of, one of the things that sets us um, on a different level for men is that whole upper body grip strength thing. The only demonstrable advantage that scientists have found that men have over women is grip strength. is grip strength, upper body strength throwing distance and those are three upper body strength is the one thing that 
you know, got prioritized in our transition from hunting and gathering to plow agriculture, right? So female upper body strength or lack thereof relative to men has been a huge pivotal issue in the development of female fates in the industrialized West and really across the world. I mean, imagine that the accident of upper body strength is what means that today men earn more than women do, have higher rates of meaningful political participation. And um, aside from women having closed the education gap, we still have multiple gaps to close with men, including the orgasm gap. Imagine how all of this comes just from the accident of men having superior upper body strength. So it's one of those weird things about um, where we are historically that you can trace back to something you might never have expected to it's be the so reason. Crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, when we transitioned to plow agriculture, men just had more upper body strength and they were able to control draft animals a little better and to push the plow better. And so this new division of labor came out of that where men were outside in the fields and women who had previously been outside ranging and foraging. Now it made more sense for them to be inside and to be not primary producers as they were when they were gathering and sometimes helping with the hunt, mm -hmm. but then they became secondary producers. And then because they were more sedentary, their fertility got jacked up, their interbirth intervals shortened and suddenly here they were shut up in a house far away from their kin with elevated fertility with dependent offspring dependent on a man it was a huge shift in female fates yeah and it's so funny too how that division that was created then evolved into well this is the natural way of things anyway and this is how women want to be right um, to kind of make it easier for us to swallow i guess oh there's so much bogus science about calling things natural that aren't look this current situation where men have the upper hand because ultimately simply because they had more upper body strength is only 10 to 12,000 years old this situation that's a blink of an eye through the lens of anthropology. The thing to keep in mind is that egalitarianism and equality um, are our legacy. And inequality is a very recent aberration in the long human calendar. Mm -hmm. So this current state of affairs is only 10 to 12,000 years old. And I think it's changing. Okay, now back to pull-ups. Yeah, let's talk about pull-ups. <laughs> so do you have a good pull-up? I don't really have a great pull-up. I've been working on it since July. Okay. And I have an Instagram highlight called um, Join Me on My Journey to Do a Single Pull-Up. Mm -hmm. um, several months ago, I had a little time on my hands, which is rare for me, and I decided let me try to learn how to do a pull-up. I've never had any luck with that. I mean, I work out. I do ballet bar workouts. I was a runner for a long time. I do strength training. Um, nowhere near powerlifting. I have all these female powerlifter Instagram followers. We are very attracted to this for I a lot of reasons. I don't know how you guys found me, but I love you. Because it's it's strength. It's all it's about strength. strength. And that's, mm -hmm. why, that's why I wanted to talk to you about your book, because there's so many layers and so many ways that we're coming together on things. But it's mm, yeah. strength and fitness and health. And it's is, also autonomy. I mean, it's having the autonomy to be that woman who goes to the gym and who goes to the all-guy space 
historically mm-hmm. of the weight room and who takes your space and who grunts and who tries and who pushes and who takes selfies of herself and flexes in the mirror. The way men feel good about doing, I can see why those kind of women might be attracted to the messaging in my book about sexual autonomy and they're all linked and it's one of the reasons I wanted to learn how to not just how to do a pull-up but I wanted to document it Mm -hmm. I wanted to show the strength in trying every day just showing up I wanted to highlight the strength in failing many times you know time after time people would dm me and say oh my god this is like watching paint dry like watching you try to get pull up I wanted people to see women as working hard Mm -hmm. which is our historical legacy again but Mm -hmm. you know I just wanted to fit into that story in a fun way so what happened is I put it on Twitter and I said I'm unable to do a single pull-up watch this space and then people started to pay attention and send me pointers and interact with me about it and it became a thing where I had put it out there so I had to commit to it Mm -hmm. and I had to do it it's like if you have a big wedding in front of lots of people part of the reason that that practice came about is it's like you're not just committing to one person you're committing to a group so I committed to the group to work on my pull-up and finally maybe after three months or two and a half months I was able to do a single pull-up and then I was able to do like three reps, but only going down to 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Today I was working with it on my on it with my trainer, which is the reason I was a little behind schedule. Sorry. I totally approve of prioritizing pull-ups <laughs> over anything else. No. And I would be happy to give you any kind of pointers because like I said, this it's tr- literally one of my, if, if I had to list like my top three goals in, in life through my career, it's to get women physically stronger because I feel we all have our avenues towards mm-hmm. sort of empowering other people and making the world a better place. And one of the things for me has been that I feel like physical strength in women is incredibly empowering and that a lot of confidence comes through competence in different areas. So if yeah. women feel like they are capable mm-hmm. in the gym and with, with their bodies physically yeah. and have that strength, that that's cascading into confidence in other areas. I agree with you 100%. And there's very interesting data about how we don't have to wait until we're grown-ups to do this. There's There have been really fascinating studies about girls and the confidence that comes from doing sports and data are suggesting that the and have been for some time that those girls who are really into a sport or some sports and feel good and competent at it have an easier transition into adolescence and into sort of negotiating sex roles and mm-hmm. gender roles which you know I always say when you see a really unhappy 12 or 13 or 14 year old girl I always say to the parents what do you expect she knows that she's entering into a system that devalues her mm-hmm. and sports and strength training and feeling great about the things that your body can do can offset the data are showing mm-hmm. that idea of just getting sort of forced into a narrow lane of what femininity is and it seems that these girls have better outcomes on many measures, academic performance, self-reported happiness, mm-hmm. feeling of connection with peers, and, and just self-esteem. So I think you're 
absolutely right about strength and confidence, and I think we can start with girls. Mm-hmm. I have a question that is not on my list at all, but I'm really well, interested in, okay. in your opinion on this one since we're talking about sports. Yeah. Um, it's the conversation of... So there's a, there was a recent news article about a woman who... She's the first woman to get a college... Uh, football scholarship as a mm-hmm. non-kicker so a kicker is kind right. of one position mm-hmm. that sort of isn't really impact yeah um and sort of the discussion around should a woman be able to even merit-based be able to play on a men's team mm-hmm. um, in a men's league on a in a combat sport mm-hmm. um and my sort of take on it the two sides you could take are it should be look merit-based if there's a woman who can play football as well or better than men she should be able to play on the team the other side of it could be Maybe instead of trying to push for women to try to be as good as men and make it on a man's team, we should support women's sports and and give that more respect and attention and, and finances and and you know what it deserves. Yeah, and we, it, yeah. I was just gonna say because it still it still basically is telling people that to be the best and to be to to try to go for the the highest that you can achieve, it's like you have to be in there with the men. It's like let's instead support the women in the world that they're in. Because yes. then on the on the flip side, could you not then say that if men if women are allowed to, to try out for men's sports, then men should be able to try out for women's sports, and then it's like this whole shit show you got to go down. You can say that if you're really stupid and you think that reverse discrimination is a real thing, which it's not, and just read what sociologists have to say about reverse discrimination and then get into an argument with the guy who says that to mm-hmm. you, um, because you'll be very well armed. Okay, but back to the specific example, what you're talking about mm-hmm. is a great place to settle for a minute what we saw with the women's soccer team um, the US women's soccer team Mm -hmm. and how they just relished winning and how they really got a lot of flack for the way they embraced their athleticism they embraced winning they embraced being on top they embraced dominance they said it feels good to be on top Um, and people had a moment about that in our culture they were very proud of these women on the one hand but wait hold on a second don't feel too good about yourself well when what is feeling too good about yourself when you're the best team in the world what 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 would it mean and what would it look like to feel too good about yourself i guess it would mean saying i earned this which is um what the captain of the u.s women's soccer team said so people were really ambivalent about that which was interesting to watch on the one hand, people were just cheering these women on. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, there was so much policing and surveillance of their every micro-move in the face of how they processed victory. And we wanted to make sure that these women weren't feeling too at home within being victorious. That would be very threatening to the social order if we simply lauded women who were victorious. They can have a ticker day parade. They can win, but they better watch it. Um, and so there was a lot of sort of micro-criticism and macro-criticism of individual players, how they behave, things that they said. I remember them getting in trouble for um, liking it too much when they just, like, just obliterated yeah, another they team. Score, they score a goal and she rips her shirt off and runs around like every man scoring a goal in a and sport that, ever. And that people said, couldn't they be a little more polite? I mean, they really, I can't remember if it was Thailand. I can't remember. There was one game that was just a total massacre, blowout. a blowout. And people were censoring their joy about how good they were and saying, you know, 
obviously the scripture is you're female, so you're supposed to be more empathic. You're supposed to really care about and nurture the wounds of the people that you have been trained to massacre out there on the field. Of course, they're going to be collegial and professional athletes, but there was this extra layer added on where, you know what? You're female. You shouldn't be so joyous about victory. Mm -hmm. And we really need to interrogate ourselves as a culture about why that made us so uncomfortable. Now, to your example about football, I have a lot of problems with football being our national sport. We know we have mountain loads of data about traumatic brain injuries and issues in football. And it's sort of like boxing you know, the way it breaks down, um, there's a, a racialized component to it that like, you know, asymmetrically sort of black men are suffering these terrible brain injuries. We know that NFL and other um, vested interests have covered, tried to sort of quiet down the findings mm -hmm. and keep them out of the news. And there's one reporter at the New York Times who's been all over this for a long time. I have big issues with football. I don't think we should be playing football. I will also note that one time for the Super Bowl, I wrote a piece many years ago um, called, you know, let's celebrate the Super Bowl by banning football. And I literally got death threats. I think it was the first time in my career I've had many death threats, but that was the first time. So we are tremendously invested in football as a culture, even though it is very messed up and gives people brain damage. And we know that now. But that said, your question is more about female participation in high stakes sports that are nation worships. And so, hey, maybe we need touch football. That's my jam. And um, for sure, women should be able to play that. Look, should women be able to play regular football? Of course they should. But we are not going to a place as a culture where we're going to let men and women be on a field like that together. We still... Uh, and men do have real advantages, right? They tend to weigh more. As we said, they have more upper body strength. They get out there, they get pumped. Do you think they're going to be solicitous and kind um, in measure to their physical advantage when they're out there trying to win? They're not. So, but what is the real issue here, right? The I mean, real issue is we worship the sport and it's a masculine sport and women going into it, like women being soccer victors threatens it's not that it's threatening to sports it's that it's threatening to our concept of who men and women are and yeah. we're still there after half a century second wave feminism started half a century ago in a big way and here we are still with these fundamental issues mm -hmm. well there's even the parallel people make the parallel with football to um uh, military, right, and active duty, um, like frontline positions for women where they could be in the line of fire and they have to kill or be killed. And there was a big issue with um, women in sort of special forces positions and, and places like that because the the argument was that men seeing can't handle seeing women being shot and killed and died and dying alongside them and they'd spend too much time trying to save their, um, you know, female um 
officer than than doing what they have to do. Where it's like, why is it? Wow, women are fall? women are fucking things up all the time. Right, we can't even die the right way. Right, exactly. So yeah, so this is a that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that argument mm-hmm. that it would be about like men being so gallant on the field of battle. What are the real actual issues? that men rape women um, in combat settings and in settings of military service. And we've known it at least since tail hook. And yet we're blaming women because when they die, they upset men. Um, No, that's not right. Fix the tremendous rates of sexual assault in the military. Um, Make the military a place where women can serve and stop with this nonsense. If we're going to talk about what is real, in addition to sexual assault in the military, what is real um, is that there's there are plenty of data suggesting that women are really good shots, whether it's mm-hmm. archery or um, with a gun or with an automatic good hand-eye coordination. Good hand-eye coordination. There's some thinking that estrogen um, has an effect that makes women better at aim and makes them a calmer, better shot. If the military really cared about facts rather than perpetuating established gender ideology, they would do something about sexual assault in the military, and they would look at that data and say, wow, wait, women have the potential to be better in combat than men on these specific measures that could really enhance our military. That's mm-hmm. how you know it's BS, that nobody's talking about that. Yeah. I want to bring it back a little bit to some of this anthropological and like uh, the agricultural side of how that screwed up everybody um, in so many ways. Um, but one of the things that I, because re- I know that we don't have all day for me to ask you questions. And one of the things that keeps coming back to me when I'm reading this book and I'm living in the world mm-hmm. is the confusion that I think North American culture specifically has. So I recognize the privilege that I have to live here as opposed to many other places in the world where women are treated way fucking worse, right? Like there's always perspective that can be had here. Um, But I feel like there's a unique level of confusion and opposing um, views and messages that we're all just supposed to accept simultaneously that don't make any sense. And one of those big, the big kind of confusing things, and I'll bring it back to the agricultural thing, is the concept that women, and I'm using lots of air quotes here for people listening, Mm -hmm. are more suited to in the house, staying um, inside, doing that kind of like family labor work um, that we want to be monogamous, that we want to have security, that we want to have Mm -hmm. safety, that we aren't sexual, overly sexual, that we don't really want to have a lot of sex with a lot of people, all those things that Mm -hmm. were were taught are natural for women. And then you go back to that like farmer's daughter trope where we're like these sexually promiscuous Jezebels who can't be counted on to control ourselves. How can we be told both of those things at the same time and we're supposed to eat it? Like I don't get it i know make up your mind right so we've seen these antinomies in in a lot of different cultures that there are cultures that try to say that women are more naturally monogamous and men are more naturally promiscuous and then there are the cultures that say no women are super promiscuous and they need to be controlled and then you see uh techniques like clitoridectomies and menstrual huts and um other forms of social control. We have plenty of forms of social control for women here. By the way, when people say to me, like, oh, what are you complaining about? Women have it so good here compared to women in other places in the world. Sometimes what I say is, 
oh, yay, we don't have honor killings where you don't get in trouble for drowning your daughter in the family swimming pool because, low bar. because she kissed someone, yay, but we do have a country where women risk lethal violence if they have an affair or exercise sexual autonomy, they might very well be shot and killed. Mm -hmm. So what are we really talking about? And then when we look worldwide at rates of labor force participation and political participation, we see that the United States ranks horribly low. We rank beneath Burundi and uh, Rwanda and some other places that might really surprise us. Um, we rank very low worldwide, especially given that we're the richest nation in the world. So there's that. Now, the second thing, back to these cultural contradictions about how we feel about women on the one hand, oh, they're just naturally coy and choosy and monogamous. They were designed for monogamy. And then on the other hand, this idea that we're super sexual. You're right, we can't make up our minds about women. I think what I always like to tell people is whenever somebody's saying that something's natural, uh, you really have to prick up your ears and consider the possibility that this person has no idea what they're talking about. Um, for example, this notion that women are, quote, naturally, unquote, uh, more monogamous, that we were designed for monogamy, and this idea that it's natural for women to be shut up in the home, um, and that we're more naturally hearthbound. This is an idea that has its roots only 12,000 years ago, and if you look worldwide, this is why I love anthropology, you look at the worldwide ethnographic data, and what you see is female sexuality is context-dependent. There's the fact, if you're a cis gendered woman, there is the fact of your clitoris, and then everything else about female sexuality just happens where the clitoris and the culture intersect. So there are cultures where women are wildly promiscuous. Do you know why? They're allowed to be. Mm -hmm. And then there are cultures where female sexuality is muted, and it seems like we don't have a sexuality, and that's because that's all that's allowed. So whenever I think about female sexuality, think of it as this a shifting thing that will adjust. It will be as adventurous and assertive uh, and agentic as it is allowed to be. It can be this tiny muted thing or it can be this huge expansive adventure and it all depends on the cultural container. I really saw that a lot when I went to skirt club. Mm. You know, I saw the micro points about the sex research data as I watched these women at these sex parties that are for all women. But I also saw the macro point that female sexuality will morph into the container and be as adventurous and crazy and big and um, assertive as, as it can be. Just a brief interruption, guys, to tell you about today's show sponsor, don't fast forward, okay? Listen, it's important. <laughs> Today's show sponsor is a company making my favorite CBD products on the planet. And as someone who has tried a lot of these products and uses CBD almost daily for relaxation, to combat inflammation, muscle soreness, all of that, I think that's saying a lot. These products have truly been one of the most game-changing supplements that I have ever used. Uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals makes CBD products sourced in Colorado. 
and they are third-party lab-tested. It says right on their website that you can email them directly for results on any of their products. Ask them any questions. They're going to be transparent with you. Their tinctures are all housed in MCT or coconut oil because we know that things like these are more bioavailable in the presence of a fat source. They have tons of products. They have some sort of more no-nonsense stuff like CBD uh, in straight MCT oil, which has zero of that kind of grassy weed spit flavor that you get from a lot of tinctures. They also have a whole range of flavored ones that you can use in your baking, your coffee, put directly in your mouth like I do. They've got cherry vanilla, chocolate chip, guava, peppermint. It's pretty awesome. They also have a lot of uh, skincare products. They've got this pain lotion uh, for sore muscles that I actually included as part of a healthy subscription box uh, project that I did last year. And I couldn't believe the feedback I got about this stuff. People with chronic pain, high-level athletes, so many people came back to me saying that they noticed a marked difference in how they felt after using it and how quickly their muscle pain subsided. It's really impressive for a topical product. So uh, I love this company. They're transparent. They're the real deal. They're always innovating and coming out with new products. And I'm happy to use their stuff and support them like they have always supported me. So if you have any questions about Santa Cruz Medicinals, uh, reach out to them on Instagram at Santa Cruz Medicinals. You can talk to me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. Happy to answer any questions. Um, And you can head to their website, of course. It's scmedicinals.com. Shop all of their amazing products and uh, do some further research for yourself. And of course, use the code MUSCLEMAVEN for a 15% discount. And if that's the case, that explains a lot about why we are extra confused in North America. Because at one, on one hand, we are encouraging this overt sexuality and the you know um, fake tits and doing everything to our bodies to create this overtly sexual-looking being. And we've got all these sex parties and we've got all this stuff. And then we're also shaming people for right. wanting something other than monogamy. So no wonder we're super confused because it's like we're trying to enjoy the benefits of female autonomy on the down low, but not talk about it or admit it anywhere. Like, no wonder we're all fucked up about it, men and women. Right. We talk a great game about female autonomy in our culture and about independence in general and about autonomy in general. And then when we're faced with it as, again, back to the example of the women's soccer team, or I remember for a while there was this big thing like the walk of shame just people on social media posting pictures of women wearing clothes from the night before out on the street and doing what they called the walk of shame which was nothing but slut shaming mm-hmm. um which is hateful um and biased it's a form of gender bias and um yeah so we want to believe that we're this free country but when our back is up against the wall how many of us, even women who are feminists, um, think that women who exercise true sexual autonomy by refusing monogamy, um, by walking around in their clothes from the night before the next morning on the street, how many of us are willing to give those women a high five? Mm-hmm. Very few, because sexuality is the place where our backs are up against the wall. We're perfectly happy to say, sure, women should earn a dollar on a dollar. Yes, it is outrageous that Native women in this country earn the most recent statistic I said was 52 cents on the dollar. People will say that's outrageous. People will say it is absolutely outrageous that we've never had a female president. But then when women try to seize uh, a privilege that has historically belonged to men in this country, the privilege of true sexual autonomy, 
having an affair or saying, um, disclosing non-monogamy, I'm married to you, but that doesn't mean that X or, yeah, I'm married to this woman or this man, but that doesn't mean that I don't have my own sexual adventures. That's where people get really uncomfortable. That version, the sexual version of female autonomy is what upsets people the most and upsets the social order the most. There's no question about that, which is why I wanted to study women who, who did it. Mm-hmm. One of the things, this is a really big question, but one of the things that <laughs> always upset me the most growing up and as soon as I became a sexual being and before I even sort of understood what being a feminist was or what it, what it meant to care about sexual autonomy, even from a really young age, one of the things that's built into our culture that always really upset me um, is the concept of like, if you have a daughter, you got to watch over with a shotgun when the boys come around or the idea that if you have a son, like go out and encourage him to, you know, sow his oats. But if you have a daughter, like you got to just watch out. And the reason why that upset me is because it seems so deeply ingrained, even among good men in, in our culture, that for a woman to have sex, something bad was happening to her. Like mm-hmm. something, she was giving right. something up. Someone was taking something from her. And these are people who... I think have good relationships oftentimes with their sexual partners, have wives and, and, and sisters and women friends. This is the last frontier of enlightened thinking. It's a really hard line for people to cross. When we talk about upper body strength and then we talk about agriculture and all the privileges that men garnered from that, um, even though a lot of them might not feel like they did, one of the privileges they garnered is that nobody said that their sexuality was the property of someone else or that their virginity was of high value to the entire family and maybe the only way the family could climb the social ladder was to ensure the sexual purity of this young woman so that she could marry up. This is the really um, messed up factual set of circumstances that we inherit around the concepts of virginity um, and around the concepts of sexual purity that we asymmetrically, 100% asymmetrically pin on women. You know, the hymen isn't even a real thing. It's a fiction. It's a myth. But it's a myth that we're really, really married to, this idea that women are sort of, you know, unused and then they have sex and they've been used we also have this weird ideology that the female vagina um gets like ruined the more you have sex nobody says it about a penis right but they say it about a vagina did you see the ti thing in the news i'm Um, sure i'm sure it crossed it um the rapper who yes he wanted his his daughter to have a virginity test and this is you know a holdover of a way of thinking that has prevailed since we since plow agriculture became our way of being. Plow agriculture is in our distant past now, but we know from the data that anywhere there is plow agriculture for several generations after, no matter where you move, no matter what, that legacy stays with you. So that legacy is there. It's stuck in our craw. Even those of us who consider ourselves enlightened and liberated and feminist Um, I remember messaging to my stepdaughters when they came to talk to me when they were very young women, um, adolescent girls really, to talk to me about sexuality a couple of times. I remember thinking, wow, this messaging really matters. Mm -hmm. And am I going to be a person who messages about caution and danger? Or am I going to be a person who messages about pleasure? 
-hmm. And that was really tricky, especially because I wasn't their parent. Um, But I note the difference when I talk to my sons about sex. I so want to emphasize the pleasurable aspects of it, not being ashamed, enjoying yourself. Just want to say something else, too, about Me Too. Um, I think one of the things that really undid people about Me Too wasn't just seeing powerful men fall. It was seeing men being vulnerable because of sexual interactions. We're used to women being super vulnerable in sexual interactions. Anything can happen. You go to a frat party, you get what you get, and you don't get upset, right? Even though it, the, the forms of sexual coercion and abuse and rape that happen there are completely unacceptable and illegal, right? But we're used to sexuality being dangerous for women. Now, suddenly, sexuality was dangerous for men, and people were having a hard time adjusting to that because the social order hinges on the idea that sex is more dangerous for women and not perilous for men, that for men it's a sphere of pleasure. So that was a really interesting thing to me about Me Too that people didn't really talk about a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, that suddenly sexuality became as dangerous for men as it became for women. Um, I always try to message about pleasure, And I think that women who do sports and women who lift and women who are out there using their bodies, I think we're teaching ourselves that our bodies are sovereign states and that they belong to us and that we're responsible for them. And I think the next logical step that is feeling responsible for pleasure and entitled to it. So I hope that like being involved in sports Um, lifting, being physically active, feeling entitled to be out there and take up space in the gym um, or to run a marathon, whatever it is that women are doing. I hope that that feeds into a sense of entitlement about pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? This Mm -hmm. body is yours to take care of, to compete with, to have orgasms, figure out what gives you pleasure. I mean, to me, part of a workout is you're pushing your body, right? And I think that in that way, women who work out um, are uniquely able to do a sexual workout. I would recommend it oh, highly. Yeah. I would highly recommend into it. Into our bodies, too. Yes, so when you're working out, you're, you feel in your body. You feel yeah. the sweat and the exertion. And, the, and you, you feel know. the endorphins, and it yeah. feels great. Mm-hmm. So take that sense of entitlement and how great that feels and do a sexual workout, which would just mean... Figuring out what feels good to you on your own. We know from data that women who masturbate to orgasm report much higher levels of sexual satisfaction in partnered sex, uh, whether it's with other women, but especially if it's with men, um, because there's a big orgasm gap, which is really just a form of social inequality. We value men more in our culture. We pay them more. We let them run the world and legislate reality, and that's the reason that they have... uh, orgasm 22% of the time more than we do during intercourse. We value men, we pay them more, we let them run the world, and so we value male pleasure more. Okay, women who lift and women who uh, work on their bodies, like just do a sexual workout every day. Figure out every day like what feels the very best to me. Oh, how could I do this? Oh, could I find my um, urethral sponge? Could I make myself squirt? Could I... Um, do I have an orgasm faster when I press my vibrator on this side or the other side? Like, 
what you know what's the story with all that mm-hmm. and a sexual workout is a great way to just claim space too mm-hmm. to claim your sexual space is really important going back to the you know the fact that we care more about uh, male pleasure than women's pleasure another thing that's super confusing in our culture is our pornography and i don't know if you've uh and i don't we don't need to go too far down this road because there's a couple, one or two more questions i want to ask mm-hmm. before you got to run but have you heard about the study that it was um the 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 more sort of uh, in denial about our sexuality a culture is the more different the pornography is from the reported um, their actual sex lives. So, for example, so in America, yeah, where yeah, where we're like super in denial about a lot of things, our sex tends to be very um, fantasy based and cartoonish and mm-hmm. over the top performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where in other cultures, where maybe they're a little bit more open and a little bit more able to talk about things, their their sex is a little bit more reflective of the kind of sex they're actually happening having. And so one of the questions I have is if we care so much more about male pleasure and orgasm and all of these things, how come in our porn there's so much performance around women's orgasms because, and how much pleasure we're because, having? Because it's not about our pleasure. It's about male performance. In that, in that porn, right, the female orgasm just unlocks the awesomeness of the man and proves it, right? She's an extension of his skill set rather than the pleasure being her thing. It's about him, him being good at it, him being competent, him being the key. I'm sorry, we hear hear the cat, the cat's jingle bell. The cat is just jingle belling around. She's very interested in this. She's very interested. She's very interested in female sexuality. She was in heat recently. It was an interesting thing, even though she's been fixed. (laughs) Welcome to the club. She still has like ghost heat uh, cycling. Um, But anyway, that's a different topic. So we were talking about uh, porn and yeah. Male okay. Orgasm. So right. So in these things, that the man is the female orgasm is just an extension of male competence and um, performance and doing a good job and how awesome he is sexually. Think about how that leads to not just performance anxiety among heterosexual men, but rage against women. If you are obliged to quote make a woman come unquote. Because everybody's responsible for their own orgasm, okay? Oh, okay. There you go, Zelda. Zelda, sorry. Now the cat is in Ashley's lap. She likes women. She's apparently. like, let me tell you what I like to do. I like to be on your lap and just stay here and chill while be, we talk about the porn. Physical, okay? yeah. She's oh, used to it. So I was saying that how not only does that trope where the female orgasm is the proof that men know everything and can do everything and men are sexually competent, it's like then female pleasure isn't about women at all. It's about what men can do. Now think about how that leads to performance anxiety for men, and think about how it also uh, leads to men resenting the hell out of women. What, I'm supposed to unlock her? I'm supposed to make her do something? She didn't now do she, what that porn girl did when she's I... She's the enemy you know. now. You're supposed to make her come? That means she's the enemy, and I think that like accounts for some of the hostility a lot of the hostility we see that heterosexual men have for heterosexual women in our culture particularly the ones who aren't quiet and accommodating and who um you know don't want to just lie there and passively be unlocked Mm -hmm. um that's very threatening but yeah so porn that 
just shows us men being awesome because they magically know how to make women come, but it's not about female pleasure, is doing a disservice to men and women alike. That said, I have nothing against porn. Porn's not going anywhere. I like the porn done by Cindy Gallup and Erica Lust. Um, it's sort of female-centered porn, and um, I love that the cat is just purring so yes. loudly. That's all about pleasure. You just happy you got a lot of big happy purring pussy on you. I had to say it. It was right there for me. And what better place? To have her just right on your lap. I love it. So yeah, porn. I mean, I you know what I say to my kids about porn? I say porn is not going anywhere. I know it's out there. Just when you're watching it, just know that it's not sex. It's pretend sex. Mm -hmm. It can be sexy and it can turn you on. But if you're thinking, what do girls and women? What do they actually like? It's not that stuff. So or ask them what it is. That's, that's exactly. Their idea. Ask. Yes, exactly. So know that what men are doing to women in the porn that you're watching is probably not at all what women like. It's being done for the camera. And if you want to know what women like, read this book or ask the woman that you're with. Mm -hmm. Ask her. You'll have to ask her several times because she's been conditioned not to tell you. But do not... I tell my kids, like, if you do that stuff with an actual real woman, most of that stuff won't make her feel good. Might make you feel good, but what's going to feel best to you is something when you're doing something and it's making you both feel good. Mm -hmm. So that's my thing about porn. It's not going anywhere. One and a lot of us like it a lot. Sure. Yeah. And knowing the difference between entertainment and education, that's mm -hmm. really what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and keep and communication, keeping it open. Yeah. Like, watch it with them. Like, watch it and love it. And, and there's, fantasize no, there's about nothing it. wrong with, like, a woman loving porn and where a woman's getting jackhammered, that woman probably knows that she doesn't come that way, but it can be fun to watch that, right? What's damaging, I think, is when a young man watches it and is like, That's because we don't sense. have access to sex ed in this country, then that young person makes the leap to, okay, that's what women like. Mm -hmm. um, nope. I want to bring it back um, quickly before we go just to the, the, the health part of it, because I think one of the things that's so interesting, that's so um, counter to what we know, is when we look at monogamous relationships, we are told that women crave it, women want it, women um, prefer that safe, secure, happy home where you have one partner that's everything to you men do it because of security and whatever but they have a harder time with it they want to go out and kind of mess around with other people all these things and it seems to the the real science seems to show that women actually have a much harder time um, yeah. keeping sexual desire keeping right. general happiness in a yeah. monogamous relationship that's right. um, but one of my questions too is that there seems to even be evidence that long-term monogamous relationships and marriage actually has a positive benefit on men's health, general health, yeah. and does not seem to be the case for women. That's right. There there are uh, data suggesting that whereas long-term cohabiting benefits men, that um, they do better health-wise, probably because if they're heterosexual men and they have a female partner who's been socialized to be solicitous about their health and to be the gatekeeper for their health and well-being, then they have a person doing that, right? The other thing I wanted to say is about women... Uh, being more monogamous and naturally seeking one great guy and needing an alpha. That's bunk. That has only been the case since it became dangerous for women to want anything else, which is only the last 10 to 12,000 years. 
So that's a recent state of affairs. There's nothing natural about it. And in many contexts and cultures in the world where it's not dangerous for women to have multiple or simultaneous partnerships, they do. I write about the Himba in northern Namibia, their nomadic pastoralists, where uh, women have husbands and boyfriends, and they have babies uh, by their boyfriends while they're married to their husbands, and nobody shoots them in the face. So, you know, context is everything. And yes, in the industrialized West, in this weird wrinkle that we live in, where the way for a woman to be safe has historically, for the last 10 to 12,000 years, been to find one man to protect her and provision her and help her raise their kids together. That's what has happened. But open your eyes and look elsewhere. And you'll see once again that, as I said, female sexuality will be as expansive and assertive and adventurous and promiscuous, if we want to use that term, as it is allowed to be. Mm -hmm. So just because it's that way here, that does not make it natural. Don't be confused about female sexuality. Don't go drawing generalizations about who women are sexually based on our culture because female sexuality to understand it, we have to look at other species and we have to certainly look at other human cultures where it's very different than it is here. Mm-hmm. One more question before I let you go. Sure. God, I have so many questions for you Wednesday. Oh um, I'm going to have to do a follow-up. Yeah, clearly. I mean, so good. But one of the one of the questions, because I want to leave like a tangible, like, mm-hmm. okay, well, what next for people? Because I know yeah, there's going to be, there's absolutely. so many women who are reading your book keep or listening working to this out. podcast. Obviously, keep working out. Get a pull-up or two, for sure. But <laughs> Try to have a corgasm. Okay, that's actually something I could work on. Okay. You do the pull-up thing, I'll do the corgasm thing. We'll report back. Work having a corgasm. Okay. Read my friend Debbie Herbenick's um, paper. Um, I think it's called Range and Variation in Human Orgasm, and it's all about the many different ways that women can have orgasms. Maybe you can put it in your show notes. Okay. And um, corgasm is is one thing. I love the example in that paper of a woman who um, had an orgasm from a core workout. And then a few days later, she went to the grocery store and she like grabbed a grocery cart and tightened her core and had an orgasm in the grocery store. Okay, well. Something to aspire to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's going to raise my standards. So before I talked about, you know, at... It's important to have a workout, but it's also important to have a sexual workout, a pleasure workout that's pleasurable. Um, that's something you could add to the menu. I love it. But I interrupted you. I'm no, sorry, that's okay. Ashley. That's okay. This question is sort of, again, a bigger question, but I know you can leave us with some words of, of wisdom and hope. So for those of us, you know, millennial women who are sort of on the cusp of like, we still feel a little bit of this pressure to do the marriage and kids and one guy forever and be happy with that thing. Mm -hmm. But we're also still, um, you know, feeling the things that all women are feeling like, Hey, we want to bang other people and we want to go do this and we want to have autonomy and we're reading this book and it's, it's resonating really strongly with us. What are the ways in which we can start to negotiate getting what we want in a relationship where two different people want two different things? Where do you draw the line between who compromises, who gives up, who does the thing that the other person wants because that's the nice thing to do for them? Mm -hmm. Like, where do you even start to have those kind of conversations? How does that work? So if you're asking how do you have a conversation about opening up a relationship, first of all, I think a really good place to start always is the data and blame somebody else. I always tell people, if you want to have a talk with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife about um, how monogamy isn't suiting you, blame me. 
and do it in a really non-threatening way. Just say like, oh my God, I heard this lunatic Wednesday Martin talking about her book on true. And she presented all this data. She said that there were these numerous longitudinal studies, one from Finland, several from the United States, a big one from Canada, two longitudinal studies from Germany, uh, one from the UK of over 10,000 British adults. And they all consistently show the same thing that after one to four years, women turn off sexually in a long-term committed relationship and they're not interested even when they're having better and more orgasms that doesn't offset the fact that they sour on monogamy first what do you think of that and then look at my article in the atlantic called women the board sex or you know just say oh i was reading this book on true or i was reading this book sex at dawn you know would you or i heard this pot i was listening to this podcast like what do you think? And present it as something that somebody else is saying. Then it'll be super unthreatening to your partner. This is a threatening conversation to have. Just know about the data. If you're a woman and within years one to four of a long-term monogamous relationship, you're feeling bored, you are a normal human woman being a normal human woman. And your partner needs to understand that, that it's not about him or her, that it's not about the relationship, and that it's not about you. It's that the data show us that in the aggregate, that's the thing that happens much more often to women than to men. That's the most important data point, I think, for people to understand. That what we've been taught, that men grow bored and restless first, is untrue. It's actually in the aggregate women. Let me say one other thing. If you're a woman and monogamy is your jam and you want it, then ask for it. And wait for the person who's willing to go there for you. And, and stick to it. Find a person who wants the same thing. You deserve what you want. And if that's monogamy, go for it and feel like that's your right. Don't try to make a person who doesn't want it do it for you. But find, if that's what you want, get it. Monogamy can be a really great arrangement for lots and lots of people. Um, the other thing that I think is important for women especially um, to understand is... Um, you have to know if this conversation is going to be dangerous for you to have or not. You know, if you can have this conversation, you're tremendously privileged. Um, I feel every woman should be able to have what could be a more basic form of autonomy than what you do with your body sexually. And yet, look where we are as a culture, that it can be dangerous. So I always want women to be mindful that it can be a dangerous conversation to have. But if you're privileged enough to be able to have it, um, you know, why would you hold back? That's a perfect place to end off. Wednesday, thank you so much for writing this book. Thank, thank you. you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for lifting and talking about women who lift. Thanks for letting Zelda sit on your oh, lap. She's the best. And congratulations on my grip strength because I'm going to keep important. working on it, Ashley. Maybe you'll give me some pointers. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks for you. having me. All right, that's it. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I know this was a little bit different than maybe what you expect from this podcast, but uh, I hope you liked it. And if you did like it and you want more like this, definitely let me know. It reminds me too, I got to check in with Wednesday and see how those pull-ups are doing. Um, and actually, speaking of that, for anyone who is still waiting on me to release my pull-up progression program, I promise you it's coming. It's 
basically done. I just got to get into the gym to take a couple videos that are going to go with it. Uh, and it'll be available on my website, ashleyvanhouten.com. I'll put that in the show notes. so You don't have to try to spell it. You can also sign up for my weekly newsletter there. I uh, send out a little fun little newsletter every Monday with some information and resources and reading. And as always, if you like what you hear on this podcast, you can pay it forward by leaving me an Apple podcast review. That is literally payment for me. It's like when you leave a review, it's like you're throwing money at me, which of course I love because it keeps the podcast running. And uh, yeah, do that. Share the show on social media if you liked it. Tag me at The Muscle Maven on Instagram. Let's connect. Let's talk. Thank you again to Santa Cruz Medicinals for keeping me relatively chill and happy. And I say relatively because no one in the world has ever actually described me as chill, but I'm working on it. So head to scmedicinals.com, use the code MUSCLEMAVEN to try their flavored CBD tinctures, their protein powder, their soaps and lotions, and a ton of other third-party tested and amazing products. All right, that's it. Have an amazing week. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next Tuesday. 